Welcome to the Learn, Grow, Teach, Parent Podcast. All right, everybody, welcome back to the podcast. I'm here today speaking with a friend of mine. His name is Michael Sinizgali. Yeah. I've known Michael and I've known his family for quite a while. His sister and I are actually pretty close friends who have known each other since high school. But uh, during the pandemic, just like everybody being stuck and, and social media did such a great job of connecting people, I really enjoyed Michael's posts and I enjoyed his music. I enjoyed spending time listening to stuff. So welcome to the podcast, Michael. How are you doing? Good. This is only the second podcast I've ever been on in my whole life. Well, let me tell you, you are important because you do the important work. The, this podcast is dedicated to teachers, people that teach. You are a teacher. In fact, why don't you just tell the audience a little bit about, uh, you know, where you, where you teach, what you do, what your job is like. I teach at two elementary schools a couple days here on Miami and Miami Beach. Uh, one is North Beach Elementary and one is South Point Elementary. Uh, it used to be I was completely at South Point, and then um, they decided to divvy my time up to both. So it's interesting. Uh, I've been doing it now for this is my 20th year, and uh, uh, never gets. Uh, it does. I mean, it that never gets old, but uh, it, it definitely gets interesting. <laughs> yeah, interesting. Great. It right, and you work gets interesting. You work with the little kids, so elementary school. What grades yeah, I have do you have? Second, second through fifth, and um, at points, at some points in my in my career, I had a K and one uh, at points. Like if my schedule wasn't busy enough, they would give me kindergarten and first grade, you know. And so, uh, so I've had uh, the, the gamut, but I haven't had you know like as young as you do. I've never had that age, you know, like, but, uh, yeah, I've had as young as, uh, kindergarten, which is five and all the way up to uh, fifth grade. It's very rewarding. I mean, I, I do the gap that in Miami Dade County music was cut from the program. I don't know a while back where uh, it only starts, uh, at around second grade. At one point it started at third grade. Uh, well, the and then teachers that... are responsible in K and one for providing music for their kids, whether they're trained in music or not, they're provided to have, you know, they're supposed to have like a music time. That's know, right. The, the, that's right. And that's a key point, whether they're trained or not, because the foundation I work for the fun, part of the funding we get is teacher training. So I'm literally going into the classroom and I'm training teachers that are non-musical in a curriculum that is scientifically based to help them with the, all the developmental uh, milestones that they're supposed to hit through music. And so it's very much that early education. It's super rewarding, but it's unique because I'm, I'm, to my knowledge, I'm the only male that teaches this young a group. I mean, there really aren't yeah. any male teachers. Yeah, I can't see. Yeah. Even for you, nurturing mother, motherly thing. Yeah, you know, it's okay. You know, I can understand why. I can understand why as well. I mean, I, I just, I have a thing about men in education, especially young education. I think there's a, there's a unique quality that we bring to it. 
How did you become a music teacher? What's that? It's a, re- it's, it's a really strange story. And, you know, I can, I can say that it happened by accident, but then you're not sure. Looking back now that I have, the, you know, the, the, that I had the time now to, to look back on it. Um, because I was always just, I was a musician, you know, I mean, I was playing saxophone. I was playing out for, on the professional level, you know, jazz. I had my, uh, I had my own group. Uh, we played originals, we played out, you know, we used to play everywhere. And, um, as a side hustle, I was, um, substitute teaching and, uh, I, I took the test, you know, for certification for, uh, English. I was going to teach English. I thought, okay, Hey, maybe I can, you know, teach high school English because I have a master's degree in humanities and, uh, my focus was on American lit. And I was like, I should have no problem teaching, you know, English in high school. So I said, well, since I'm taking this test, I might as well take the music one too, you know, just because I have a music degree also. And so I took both tests and I passed both tests, right? So I had certification in both areas, thinking that I was going to be teaching English at the high school level. And I get a call one day from the principal at South Point Elementary, right? And she she calls me up and she goes, you know, we need a music teacher here. And I see, it's funny because I was living on South Beach at the time. She goes, I see you live two blocks from the school. So do you want to come in, you know, for an interview? And I was like, well, okay, you know, whatever. I'll, I'll, I'll check it out. And so I went in and it was nothing, any kind of interview. She was like, I walked in, I'm this young dude, you know, this is 20 years ago, young, handsome dude, right? She goes, oh, you're hired. <laughs> it's like, well, she just wanted a music teacher. And uh, she, I was like, look, I don't have any experience teaching kids music. I mean, I passed the certification test. Yes, that's one thing. You know, I have a lot of theoretical knowledge. And, uh, but to teach kids music is a whole nother thing, you know, her perspective on it is, yeah, you just get in front of the kids and you sing a song and you say, yeah. And it's it's not like that at all. I mean, it is like that sometimes, but right. it's really not anything like, especially at the elementary level, um, like that. So she offered me the job right there. I And I accepted. And then it was funny because like a day later, the high school called me. It was like, okay, we need to. We can have the the English teacher thing, and I was like, you know what, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with the elementary school mu- uh, music, being that you know I thought that my expertise was better in music, and I thought that also big kids, big problems, little kids, little problems, you know. Right. <laughs> I don't right. want to deal with high school <laughs> problems, you know. And um, so I took the job, and there you go. You know, and and here I am, you know, and I was still, I I would say my first maybe seven, eight, nine years, you know, I was still playing my group. I I was playing out professionally a lot. I was doing both. I was burning it at both ends. And some days I'd do gigs and I'd get home at three in the morning and then wake up to teach it. (laughs) You know, 8.30, you get going to school, you know, teaching the little kids (laughs) after being at a bar playing until three in the morning the night before, you know. And, um. So there it is. And it's funny because, no, go ahead. 
No, no, go ahead. Tell me. It's funny because before any of that, before I even moved to the beach, I used to live in this warehouse, you know, and, uh, and a, a lot of different circumstances brought me to this warehouse, which was just this big square cement space that I was living in. And I was just, you know, I would practice there and I would, I was heavy into, and I still meditate, but then I was even more into just like, I had an existential crisis, you know, when I was just by myself and I was like, I need to figure out what the heck is going on in my life. You know, it was just one of those things. So I used to meditate and I used to say, you know, I, I would try to say affirmations and things like that. I would, I, I would pray and I would, I would say, you know what, I, you know, I want to make people happy through music, right? That's what I would say. And I would, I would prefer, I would, I want to make people happy. And I, and I thought this <laughs> naive person that I am, I thought this meant I'm going to be on a big stage in front of a lot of people, you know, playing my music and on my original tunes and all that kind of stuff. But I guess, you know, God had other plans for it. <laughs> it, it could be, you know, it could be, you know, and so it turns out, yes, I've made a lot of people happy through that medium. You know, all the kids who have ever passed through my classroom and uh, and it was weird. And now looking back at it, you know, I, I look at it, it through that lens. You know, I was like, ah, OK, so God has a good sense of humor, you know. <laughs> yeah, be careful, be more specific next time. But I <laughs> should have said, you know, well, you know, so let, let me is. tell you that teaching kids is is rewarding. There's a, it has its own unique, interesting reward to it. And you've had a lot of years in front of a variety of, of kids through different decades. I mean, society's changed, the way music has changed, the way children relate to music has changed. What would you, what would you say are the, are some of the biggest differences? I'm with the, big, the biggest changes. Yeah. The biggest change, obviously the, the kids, you would think, obviously, now in the age of social media and all this kind of stuff, and it's true, but what's changed is the parenting's changed. The parents of kids now are so different from how they parented, our parents parented us. You know what I'm saying in terms of, you know, think about when we grew up, you know, I would walk to school by myself. I would come home by myself. I had a single mother of four, you know, she didn't come home till six, seven at night. And so she never knew where we were. I would go to my friends' places. I would go here. I would go there. She never knew. All I knew is that seven o'clock, we had to be at the dinner table, you know, and sitting around the dinner table. And now uh, everything is so micromanaged and structured. And, you know, you don't just go walk out and see your friends, you know, you go have a play date and you know your parent you know and everything is watched and everything is is it's just micromanaged to the point uh, i don't know if it's good if it is a good or a bad thing i mean obviously with the way society is the dangers out there it's necessary you know unfortunately you know there wasn't the chance you know as much of a chance that if i was going to my friends and my mom didn't know that i wasn't going to come home you know what i'm saying so now we're ever watchful of our, of our kids and the parents are on top of them. And also, but the parents are also brought up on social media. Now the kids that I have, their parents are very much, you know, uh, on social media and uh, they're brought up with different, you know, different 
influences that we were. And it, 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 you know, I think they have some different expectations about what teaching is, you know. What, what do you think their biggest misconception about teaching is? Biggest misconception about teaching. Um, maybe, I, I mean, maybe it, it, it has to do with their own child's attitudes towards a teacher. Maybe they, they like to, I mean, I think that the blame is shifted you know, what's wrong with the child, they, they blame the teacher more now than they ever did. You know, there's no, there's less accountability for kids who, 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 you know, and you can't blame the kids. They're just brought up and they're, they are the way they are. They're, they're learning from their parents. They're learning from their mothers and fathers. They're learning from social, they're being brought up by TikTok, you know, huh. and their, atten their attention span is, yep you know, is so much less now, you know, and they, uh, the, the consequences aren't as great as to when, if I, uh, if I disrespected a teacher, mouthed off to a teacher, you know, my mom wouldn't tolerate that, yeah. you know, uh, uh, but my, you know, I, we're not, we're not their parents, you know, we're people, you know, they come into our arena with their ego and they come into our arena with their experiences from, you know, the people, you know, they hang out with and their parent, with how their parents bring them up and they bring that to us. And sometimes the parents expect us to do something and we do, we try, you know, we try to get them. Uh, whatever it is involved, you know, just engaged in some way, shape or form, you know, but I think uh, people are quick to blame the teacher before looking at the student, you know, and even the teachers have changed, you know, the way we teach uh, our, how we were brought up and how we look at kids. It's tough to pinpoint any one thing because I'm sure as a teacher, I'm full of my, probably my own misconceptions about parenting or whatever it is, you know, whatever it is, you know, I, I'm sure I'm full of my own, you know, ego and I have my own issues, uh, you know, but after 20 years, I've tried just to take the stoic route and just try not to, you know, uh, less, I, I much less fly off the handle like I did when I first started teaching, I was mad. <laughs> I was always, I was always pissed off about something, you know, something. And, I, and then I, you realize, you know, these are just kids, you know, they don't know anything. They don't know, you know, the old proverbial saying, you don't know your ass from your elbow. They, they don't, they're just, look, they're just taking in what they see and it's not their, their fault, you know? Um, I get, there's a great saying, it says who you are is not your fault, but it is your responsibility. Okay. I, I just like to see everybody take proper responsibility. That's all the parents, uh, myself included, but I, I'd like to see the kids learn that. And I, I'm a little disappointed that I don't think we teach them that, enough. you know, we're so focused on, you know, the testing and all these things that it's this it's the little things that are going to help them succeed 
like that. You know, uh, look at the kids in Japan who go to school, they clean their schools, they take pride in what they do. You know, they, there's a certain, you know, accountability and responsibility that kids don't grasp. You know, they, they just don't have it. And I, it worries me a little bit, you know, a little bit. But I think they grow up and they mature. Maybe they learn it, you know. But I see this as I see this as an opportunity for the education system to transform. Let's put it that way. OK, because we're not adapting to what's happening with the kids. We're using a 19th and uh, a 20th century model in the 21st century of education. Very much so. Uh, you have the brick and mortar building, you go to a classroom, you sit down at a desk and kids aren't built that way now. They're just not, their brains aren't wired that way, man, to sit at a desk all day and do, it's just not the world we live in. So, you know, there's a lot of things that can change. You know, I could be, you know, I look at my own son, I could be a better dad, I could be a better parent. I want him to be, you know, good, but I, the system itself, we should try to transform it. I don't see why nobody talks about that enough. You know, we're still talking about testing and yes, it is important to learn to read and comprehend and, 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 and do these things. But I, I walk into a school and I see a lot of old buildings and I see a lot of walls and I see a lot of just, they look more like prisons and hospitals. You know what I'm saying? It's like, I see the, I want to see openness and, and I just want to see, I want to feel that, you know, in, in there. I think it just, it should, we just need to transform the system. You know, I, I don't know how else to put it. I just feel it's ripe for something to come along, but I think political, you know, red tape and BS and, it's always the bottom line is, oh, where's the money going to come from? You know, well, you know, well, do you give a shit about your kids? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Do right. you give it, where's the money come from should be the, mm -hmm. the last thing you think about. You know, where's the money going to come from? You know, and, and yet we throw money around at so many other things and so much of our taxpayer money is misused and misspent and just wasted. And we could be giving our kids the world. We could be giving them so much. But we don't. We we we. I feel we shortchange them. And as a teacher, you're just there in the classroom. You know, it's just you and them. At the end of the day, they walk in. It's just you and them. And I feel grateful for that. You know, I feel grateful that people trust me enough to say, okay, here's my child, and I do what I can, and I try to engage them and get them to do things. And some days it goes great. Some days it fails miserably. But uh, I think. The whole system itself needs to transform. Now, what that means, you know, like I said, like a re restructuring buildings, maybe restructuring the school day, what our hours are, how often we go to a brick and mortar school, you know, what's wrong with maybe having one day online and three days at school and, you know, and, and, and just thinking outside the box, allowing kids to take over their own, uh, research, you know, in terms of how we, you know, just constantly planting things in them. Uh, let them, you know, be curious, 
You know, I don't want to knock the curiosity out of kids. You know, that's what keeps them, so keeps hope alive, you know, being curious and finding out, and, you know, in, and just exploring and discovering, you know, and we as teachers like to give kids those opportunities, but a lot of times I feel that teachers are bogged down by, you know, the curriculum a lot and bogged down by state testing standards. Now, me as a music teacher, nobody, nobody ever comes and now I'm not going to say nobody ever comes. I get observed and things like that, but nobody tells me what I have to teach and how I have to do it. You know, they let me teach whatever songs I want to teach and whatever way I want to teach it, whatever. And so I have a lot of freedom and I, and I feel the special area teachers, meaning like PE, art, music, these things, we have a unique perspective on education because we, you know, we are free to do a lot of, you know, different things. Not that regular classroom teachers aren't, but they have a much more structured curriculum as far as what they have to achieve, you know, um, I, and I think we, you know, we have that opportunity, me as a, as, and you know, maybe as a music teacher, I get to see the kids grow and they come to me every year. I see them in second grade. I see them in third grade. I see them in fourth grade, whereas they've seen one teacher in second grade and then they move on from that teacher and maybe they see him around the school and they're like, Hey, how are you? They don't have the same relationship that I do with those kids who I've seen them grow every year and see what they can achieve every year and see how much smarter they've gotten or how much wiser they've gotten or how much more mature they've gotten. I get to see that every year. Every special area teacher gets to see that every year. I'm sorry if I'm rambling. I, I mean, I know the question. No, was, you're not. No, the, not the original question was, what is the main misconception, you know, about what we do, you know, and we're not, we're not, you know, we're not taskmasters. We're not, you know, we're not trying, we're just trying to, I don't know, man, we're, I, I feel like, you know, this, this is like an eggshell. You've got these kids, you know, they, they're so sensitive, you know, these kids, so much affects them. They're, they're get so either so excited or they get so down on themselves a lot, a lot, you know, and I, I, I just, uh, I want to fill their time with, you know, with good memories, you know, something because that's what they're going to have. They're not going to always remember, you know, this math equation or this, but they're going to have those memories. They're going to look back and I want them to think of me when they think of me, I want them to have good memories. I want them to have, Oh, I remember my music teacher, you know, I re and now more than ever, because you, I, I know kids now, now I would never see, I would never see my third grade teacher if, when I got older, when I got to college, when would I go back and see my third grade? Now, kids know, they know where you are. You, you see them, they, you see them, I see them now in college, you know, they come back or they come see me or they, I, and you can, you're, you're connected to them. You know, some of them now that are, you know, have their own kids or whatever, or whatever, it might be connected with me on Facebook or, you know, they, you, they know you now forever. <laughs> you know, it's right. weird. You know, we never had that relationship with our teachers. You know, that was it. Once my fifth grade teacher was gone, that was it. He was gone. I didn't see him again. I didn't go back and say, hey, you know, how are you? You know, but now you see their lives. You see them growing. You see them going to college. You see them having kids. You know, you see them doing all these things. You know, it's a, it's, it's, it's a strange experience.
I, I, there, you made two excellent points. I want to backtrack and dig a little deeper on the one thing that strikes me. I mean, obviously you're, you're a very, uh, you're a passionate person. You care, uh, you want to make a difference in, in the lives of your students. And just that by itself puts you in a, a different category, uh, that category where you are peeking behind the impact of what you're doing as a person, how they form as people, because a lot of the things that you, that you talk about is consistency. So parental consistency is one thing, but consistency coming from an educator can really do a lot to bolster children. And the emphasis that a lot of education has on the STEM and uh, the, the way that they're only able to impact in that one year of that child's life. Some of the art teachers you're talking about, some of these specialty teachers, they get to actually loop with their children in a way that I think is highly beneficial. And, you know, I, I come from my first teaching job was actually a Waldorf teacher. And in Waldorf education, you loop with the kids. Uh, if you're a teacher, you start with them at first grade and they go with you as their main teacher yep. that teaches them all of that all the way through uh, eighth grade and in some cases high school so you really do get to see these children developmentally change and you made a great point which is you know how do we change education well maybe the relationship of the parents understanding the importance of the arts and how it's a thread that binds together everything might be a, a decent conversation to have is what do you I don't think? feel like they I don't feel like the parents uh, are short selling me. I don't think I think they realize that I'm a good music teacher and I had a good impact and I get a lot of parents that, you know, I'm friends with that that you know, I had their kids for the longest time and they were always appreciative of of the arts. They were always wanted that for their their kids. Nobody ever said, you no, know, I never knew a parent to say we should get rid of music or we should, that's always a district thing. You know, those are the, the, the talking points of, of district. Now, luckily I'm on the beach and the beach are steam schools and in steam schools, you have to have music. There's no, there's no, there's sense of their thing. You know, music. Their directive. Yeah. That's, that's part of it. Well, that's a unique situation in and of itself that, you know, the there's a difference in the beach schools and some of the other districts where, you know, the science, the math, the engineering the, takes a precedent over uh, some of the other, you know, more uh, artistic endeavors. I'm a very art forward educator. I've always believed that, you know, my kids grew up making their own textbooks. They grew up uh, from uh, day one giving as much uh, attention to whether they were doing something with their hands uh, or they were doing something with their hearts and minds. They, they were equal attention to all areas. And I think, but I had. Go ahead, go ahead, finish, please. No, but you, when you have a certain amount of control over uh, point A and point B, then. Uh, there's there's more of a, a passion that you can throw behind the holistic teaching but like when you're saying when you are when it's broken up and you know fifth grade sixth grade uh, fourth grade you're always introduced to a new teacher and a new relationship has to begin 
that lack of consistency, I think, is where you get the disconnect that... But I, I think it's okay, because I like the kid, that kids have to deal with different personalities, because it just means different ways of learning. There's always, you know, each teacher has their own way of, of giving instruction, you know, and getting them to the point. You know, again, and so there are going to be some that are taskmasters and your kids are not going to like, and that's okay. That's teaching them to deal with people. You know, it's we as teachers, we, you know, and kids, we have to be malleable. You know, we have to be very malleable. We have to be aware of the changes in our culture and the changes in the way kids learn. There are some teachers who don't, who will never change, never change. I, I, you know, in their teaching style. Me, over 20 years, constantly, I'm constantly going, okay, I can, I can try this and I can, I can do this and I can see where, where kids are going with this. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to try this and I, I'm going to experiment. I'm going to throw it to the wall, like a Jackson Pollock painting, you know, and just let them go and, 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 and try. We as teachers, I think we have to be very adaptable to, to what the kids are, are, are into today. We just have to be adaptable and understand, um, uh, the world they're growing up in. It's a, it's a completely, you know, it's a completely different, uh, different world, you know, but, uh, so you, so your point of disconnect then is that we have this outdated feel, look, method. I, I'm going to say this. I, I feel like I hear people say that school is the matrix right? It, it's a place where we indoctrinate the children. And I'm going to come out right now and say that's a bunch of malarkey bullshit. Okay. I, I, I am not that way because I know who I am, right? I know what I bring to the table when those kids walk into my classroom and they shut that door and it's just me and them. Okay. So I don't have any agenda or any kind of thing like that. I'm happy and you know that's where you know if i'm having a bad day and i'm in front of the kids and we're doing something man i just let it go you know i just let it go i go you know what life is great i'm in front of these kids they're singing they're happy everything is cool that's where i'm at you know i think that the biggest let's go back to the misconception i guess that teachers you know are have some kind of agenda or we're indoctrinating kids into certain, you know, political things that we have an agenda for. I would say, I guess maybe that's the, the biggest one because we as teachers are like middle people. Yeah, we're like the middle people. We're caught between the parents and we're caught, you know, between the bureaucracy of the whole education system. But yet, like I said, you close that door, the kids are there, it's just you and them. And I don't feel any pressure anymore. You know, I don't feel any pressure from anything. It's just me and they let me do my thing, you know, and I think I'm effective in that way. Um, and I think most teachers are, you know, I, we, we're not out, you know, it, it really makes me angry when they use teachers as a tool, you know, to, to pit people against each other, you know, and not realize what, uh, you know, what they're going through, teacher. I mean, it's hard, man. Some days you go home and you're like, God, I wish I could have had that back. You know, I had that one. <laughs> I wish I could have had a mulligan on that day, you know? I wish I could have, right. you know, 
And just to, 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 I mean, all the teachers I've ever met, I mean, just to say that there's, you know, this person about whatever it is about, you know, the, you know, conservative and liberal and, and gay and straight and teaching kids this and that and the other. And it's like, we're just there, man. You give us, you give us this curriculum or you give us this thing and we try to work our best we can with it. And yet we still get bludgeoned on every side. You know, we get parents who get angry at us because we're not, you know, changing their, you know, their kids' attitudes about things or, or you know, there's something wrong with us. And we get bludgeoned from the bureaucracy too if we don't, you know, achieve a certain point thing on a test score. Now, I don't really have anything to do with the testing. But like I said, the same way I get to see the kids grow, I get the outside perspective of seeing what the teachers have to go through. And it's the reason why I took the music job and not the, the, the English lit job, because God, it just, the grading of the papers and going, it just all the, let all the lesson plans and all the things they have to, and all these, and every year there's always something more they just put on your plate. You know, they just keep putting it on your plate and, and until you just, as a teacher, I could see them, they just balancing so many things, you know, and what you don't want to have happen, what you don't want to have happen is people bullshitting their way through it. Because at some point there's so much giving to you that at some point you just, you bullshit your way through it and you don't want to do that. It's the last thing you want to do. You don't want to, you just want to be free. You want to be free from all that red tape so you don't have to bullshit so you can be honest and real with your kids. You know, there are always those moments in the classroom, man, where I have their absolute attention and I know their eyes are on me. I'm aware of it and they're aware of it. And then I can speak something from my heart and they get it and I know it sticks. And then maybe the rest of the class might be disastrous, <laughs> but I got that one. I got that one good, you know, point in there, you know, and hopefully some of that sticks with them. Now, I don't know at the elementary level what sticks with them. I don't know. You know I don't know at that level, you know, that it, their understanding is we can never give kids. It's one thing we can never give them. We can't give them. We can't give them an understanding of the world. Right. They can only understand through experience. That's the only way anybody can understand anything ever. I could give them tools and then hopefully they take those tools and they use them to build something in the future. Uh, hopefully, you know, uh, you could give them a person a hammer and they could do two things with that hammer. Right. They could build a beautiful house or they could break it down. So I want them to build. You know, and, and as teachers, that's all we want. We want our kids to be able to build something for themselves. Uh, that's the thing I'm afraid of the most for kids is that we do so much for them that they don't do enough of it themselves. And so in the music class, I always give them an opportunity to do something for themselves. Like I, uh, I might put them in a small group and I'll say, hey, here's this music. OK, you have to create a dance before the end of class and watch it happen. So and then I'm like, go, right, go. And then I sit back and I watch 
and I watch all the egos happen and, and trying to figure out things. And usually they, you know, it might be very rudimentary, but it's something they created together. You know, there's something they worked on, something that I didn't step in and have to tell them what to do. It's something they talked about and something they're figuring out and something they're creating and something they're building together, they're using the tools to build something good. And it doesn't matter how rudimentary, maybe say it was a dance or something like that was, the point was that they worked together and they achieved something and they have a feeling of accomplishment by doing that, right? Doesn't matter if it was worthy of being, <laughs> <laughs> on the on the uh, you know on New York on the grandest stage you know or you know at Madison Square Garden or just good enough for the elementary school music program you know here's this work together don't hate on each other <laughs> don't kill each other you know go and there will always be groups where you see kids who just can't their egos just killing them you know, just getting in the way, constantly tripping over their egos, most like most of us do throughout our lives. <laughs> you know, you know guess we get older, but, you know, we, we still do it, but just in, in much, much different ways. That's true. I mean, you, l listen, you have a introspective view of life. You like to think about things deeply. And you mentioned meditation earlier. I'm a meditation advocate. I taught my children how to medicate, meditate when they were very, very young. Medicaid, maybe. We learn how to meditate. Teach them how to meditate, not to medicate. Okay. That's right. That's yeah. right. Maybe that's that's the '80s in me, but no, de definitely the idea of being able to have some control over your life, some agency over the things that you're doing, is developmentally it's strong for kids. It's a good thing for kids. I've often thought that meditation is something that can be taught in schools. Uh, it should, there it any... should be there. There it is. There you go. There's what there another thing of the, of the revamping, the revamping of education. What is it we're actually teaching? You know, what is it that we, you know, what courses are good? You know, everybody says, you know, that religion doesn't belong in school, but there's nothing wrong with having maybe a course in theology, you know, and, and to let kids know world religions and what it's about, you know, rather than saying, you're going to you know, have the Ten Commandments in school or you're going to do this or that. You know, religion, you know, has a place, I think, as a class to learn about what, you know, different people believe. Maybe that could be something, you know, that's taught, you know, or some is, is an example of, you know, and life skills. I'd like to see life skills, you know, like building things and, and, and just I want to see, you know, life skills that kids can have, not just math and they don't they don't i'm not going to say they don't care because some kids you know their you know their grades are you know and grades too man oh god we hit them over the head with grades all the time man grades just got to go by the wayside man grades got to go by the wayside just i agree with that uh, it's a conundrum because you tell them don't worry about your grade. You, you make mistakes. That's how you learn. And then you place such a enormous emphasis on a GPA in order to it's get like into the college. It's, it's like the difference between belief and faith, right? Belief is, is, is paper thin and can be torn apart, where faith is something that's strong that you stand in, right? It, even mm -hmm. in the not knowing, you stand in faith, right? We, you know, we have this 
things in school where we try to teach, you know, kids. I don't know that we're teaching them, but we we say, okay, you, you know, be compassionate or be respectful, or that word respect, you know, is always thrown around. And eventually it loses its meaning. It's like a, a beach ball that's thrown around the beach, you know, it's just, it's a it's a buzzword, you know, and and we end up giving kids, you know, uh, cupcake parties and pizza parties for doing the right thing. But how about just being the right thing? You know, it, it's more than an action. You know, an action is a single moment. Right. Being is a constant thread flowing through your actions. Right. And that's you know what we want to be at the base of a kid's consciousness. Right. I want them to have that strength. I want them to have a moral compass that that, you know, it's not paper thin, you know, that it's something it's, it's, a, it's a foundation, you know, you want them to have it. You can't make them understand it. You can't force them to do it. You know, you can be an example for it, um, you know, and sometimes I have been that example and other times I've failed miserably. And um, but. I want them to learn that on the deeper level, you know, and I guess that gets into parenting because really that's the parent's job, um, obviously, you know, as teachers, we're supposed to be set a certain example, but parents are the ones that are supposed to instill the things in the kid that when they come to school, they're prepared for anything, right? If you want to teach religion, Right. It shouldn't be taught in the public school. If you're a, a Christian or a Jew or a Muslim or a Buddhist, you should instill those values in your kids so that when they come to school, they can put that into practice. Right. They, they, I'm not going to sit there and make everybody learn the Ten Commandments or that Christ is Lord or uh, that we don't want right. to talk about those things. I don't want to talk. I want you and your parents your parents are the ones that bring that to you. Or in other words, I would prefer it never to happen until the point at which you grow up or like I did, I grew up and at some point I had an existential crisis and then I had to ask myself tough questions, right? Why am I here? Who am I? All these types of things. Kids are rarely going to get, uh, get that deep. You know what I'm saying? But I'd like to see school as a place where you practice those things. Right. People just want to, you know, want to say that you should teach this in school or you should. What am I teaching them? You know, I'm not I can't teach them that they have to come. This is the school is the ultimate place where you practice your version of. Religion, right, of morality, of everything. Religion is nothing but everything you think, do and say. That's what religion is. Right. And so. I want them to have that strength so that when they move up, because I see some kids, man, and I go, man, this kid's going to go to middle school. Middle school is tougher, man. Kids are bigger and they're meaner and they're, they're going through hormonal changes. They're going to have a tough time, man. And I can see the kids also that I know that they're just going to glide through and they're going to have no issues whatsoever, man. I, I see that happen. And that's such a... It's such a relation to how they're parented, how they're taught at home, not just at school, you know, and obviously, yes, sometimes they do have bad experiences at school that might 
scar them, you know. But uh, I think if you're, you're you're a good parent, you care, then that comes off in the schooling. Yeah, I think the kids see that. You see that in them. It's obvious to see. I can always tell whose kids' parents, you know, do not get involved. And I can tell whose kids' parents are strong and help build them strong. It's easy to see. I don't even have to meet the parents to know. You know, for yeah, most, the kids reflect that definitely. They do. I mean, you, they they yeah. absolutely do. You yeah. mentioned something earlier how, you know, your life was free ranged. Of course, mine was too, growing up uh, like we did yeah. in Miami and, and the surrounding areas. And we had a lot of freedom and uh, we visited friends' houses. We got to school on our, on our own, came back on yeah. our own. But Walk we did have something, something else that was super interesting is we always sat around the dinner table. Always, always. And this is where I think modern families have, they, they have a little bit of difficulty with, um, you know, cooking has fallen out of favor in most families. I know. I and, see. I see you on uh, social with your daughters, and and she's making a lot of a uh, lot of really cool stuff. And I, I mean, my mom was a good cook and all, but I I was never a great cook. I mean, I do enough. I eat healthy, but I you know I'm not some great cook. And I yeah, you're underestimating. I wonder you're, you're if I'm short short changing <laughs> my son because he doesn't really get to sit at like at the dinner table very rarely. You know, like on a holiday, on a Thanksgiving, maybe or Christmas, that his grandma comes and we sit at the table and eat. I don't even eat with him most of the time. He comes, if he comes here, I make him something and he sits because we're not on the same schedule. I'm normally not hungry when he's hungry. So I'm just like, here, you eat. I'll eat when I eat, you know, and I don't sit with him. I like, I used to sit with him and we eat together most of the time. But now it's just, and I, I wonder him, I say, am I shortchanging? If you see missing something that I could, you know, could, that I had when I grew up, you know, and sitting around the dinner table uh, with, you know, my brothers and sisters and my mother. And even when we went to New York to visit my grandparents, my grandmother, and hey, whoever came in the damn door sat at the table, right? We could be all be sitting at the table and somebody would knock at the door, come on in, you know, and everybody, there's 10 of us and 12 of us at the table, you know, and my grandmother feeding all of us, nothing, no problem, no problem. Got the full fridge, just whatever, you sit down, you eat, you know, that type of that type of upbringing, you know, I, I feel I feel for a lot of kids who don't have that. I can't say that their life is worse or better. I, I, I don't know, you know, but it's definitely different. You know, food is definitely a different thing, you know, because now it's like so, you know, quick. I throw, throw some nuggets in the in the oven and, 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 you know, and have some, you know, a bowl of soup and a salad and then he's good. You know, it's I'm not sitting there making the monocotti like my grandmother used to, you know, peeling the tomatoes. She would peel, actually peel the tomatoes to make the sauce and all that kind of shit. Yeah, so uh, they, they don't have that uh, experience, you know, and I don't know if it's detrimental or not. It may not be for everyone, but I think you do need to slow things down for kids and spend time with them. Kids want time with adults, preferably yeah. their parents, and they want, they want that time to be slow. They want it to be fun. They want it to be engaging. And every once in a while, a parent can sneak in some sort of a nugget of, you know, beautiful I, thing. Uh, the the most important another, one, I think, is. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, well, I no, was the gonna say, there's, I, another, there's another thing for school, man. Just ditch, ditch homework, ditch and bring in anything home to do. You know, maybe maybe a half hour of of some computer reading or whatever it is, but ditch the homework altogether. I don't ever remember doing homework in high school. Uh, really, to tell you the truth, 
Yeah, we did. In college, in college of course, I did a lot, a lot of writing papers and things like that. But you yeah, know, of course, I, I, just, I, I, I feel bad for kids when I see them, and you know, my son is like he goes to soccer practice on, and then he's like, okay, now I got to go home and I got to do a half hour of I ready, and I have to do. I'm like, really, really? <laughs> you know, it's like seven o'clock now. You're tired. You already had a full day of school. Who the heck wants to? You're nine. <laughs> nine years old <laughs> so i don't know I, I i don't know you know i have a lot of ideas i don't know if the answers are any good you know uh, but go ahead with what you were saying i'm sorry to interrupt you no it's a good interruption you made some great points i think the important <laughs> thing is to build a sense of reverence around something because if you don't start having a sense of reverence and it doesn't have to be religion you know i yeah. happen to like that i'm yeah. you know I, I think that Having that at, at the home is an important feature. That's a good word. That's a good word, reverence. But, I, I like it. I like it. I, I do too because it, it, it implies that you take certain things seriously in the way that you would take faith seriously, in the way and, that you would take yourself seriously. And, and it gives your life moment, a purpose. It gives a good purpose to the reverence. Right. does gives a good purpose to life. You know, it gives a good uh, – some, some – heaviness you know it gives some some substance to life right some you know? some realness uh, not yeah. everything's a joke not everything can be made fun of and i think that it also you know what i loved uh, what you said was when the children were dancing in your class and you saw their egos melt away and suddenly it didn't matter that they it wasn't a perfect choreographed piece or it wasn't you know photographically you know cinematically beautiful it was just fun and it was great for their souls to open up that way. And I think we yeah. underestimate, I think you're underestimating what you're doing day to day. And this is why the parents come to you gratefully saying, this is my child comes home and they, they talk about this thing. And they that's talk why about they my seek class. you out. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I've had parents and, you know, and there were times where I didn't realize that. And a parent would come up to me and said, you know, my, my child so-and-so had the best time in your class today. He came home. And that's all they could talk about was what they did in music class, not whatever else they did. They talked about this activity that they did, and, and uh, you know, it shocks me into, you know, okay, yeah, I, I do have somewhat, you know, this effect uh, that I'm going to have an effect, whether they remember me or not. I'll be there somewhere, right? I'll be there somewhere mm -hmm. in their heart at some point, you know. Uh, you know, I I, I gave. A speech to my uh, my fifth graders, and every year we have to, you know, they have their graduation, and uh, you know, and I and I never like to just give my awards, you know. I always have to say say something to them, you know. And I said uh, this past year, I was like, a kid asked me, yeah, there's always a build up to that because I always think about what do I want to say to these kids before they go, because I'm going to be standing in front of all of them now. And I just don't want to be like uh, the award for music goes to so-and-so because it's not really what it's about. These awards, you know, I hate awards too. <laughs> I have to say it. I got like a fuddy daddy. I know, but you know, it's just like work without thought of reward. This is the way, right? The Mandalorian, this is the way. You this is the way. Without, you got to work without the thought of reward. I know that sounds weird because we always do it for a salary or for a thing or something like that. So anyway, about a week before the speech, this kid, he raised his hand in my class. He says, Mr. S, this is, that's they, they call me Mr. S. 
And it's funny because they've been calling me that since I started teaching in 2003. And then that movie came along, The School of Rock. And his name in there was Mr. S. That's what they called him. That's right. <laughs> I was like, That's right. You mother effer, man. You took that for me. <laughs> I'm going to sue you. Anyway, will you miss us? You know, uh, will you miss us? And I, I think about that because you think that the easy answer is yes, I'll miss you. I'll miss you. But what does it mean to miss somebody? Right. So I got up there and I thought about this story of uh, Shel Silverstein. Uh, it's called The Missing Piece. And it's about a, like the circle, you know, and the circle has like a wedge in it. So imagine like a whole pizza with a with a slice cut out. Right now, the circle perceives this, that he's missing something in his life. Right. Because he has this wedge. So what does he do? He goes around the world. He goes on a journey. He searches outside himself everywhere for something to fill uh, that missing piece. So he encounters different shapes along the way. And he says, are you my missing piece? Are you my missing piece? No, I'm not your missing piece. You're too big. You're too small. Finally, he finds a wedge that fits in there. And he's like, wow, I found my missing piece. Now I'm happy, right? And he rolls along with this piece that he found that fit perfectly. And after a while of rolling around with this piece, the piece itself starts to change its shape, just like people change. And he has to let it go. And this is what I'm telling the kids in their fifth grade graduation, all, the parents, all their parents there. I'm like, he has to let it, he has to let it go. And it's in the letting go. It's in, <laughs> it's in the letting go that the circle realizes that he was never missing anything, right? He was, he was always complete. He was always fulfilled. He just never realized. And to the kids, you know, we always, we're, most of the time we're teaching them to look outside themselves for happiness. That's what they learn, I think, from us. They, to look there, there. And, the, and I, you know, I told them, I said, you're going to see things that advertisements and TikToks, things that are luring you and trying to tell you that you're missing something. But, but you, as you sit there right now, you're complete. You lack nothing. And I told them, you know, and that was my message to them was you lack nothing. And I want you to remember this one. Because when you feel bad, I want you to think of my words right now. Say to yourself, nothing. There's nothing I need that I can find outside myself that's going to make me happy. As we as teachers cannot give a kid happiness. Our parents, you, me, our sons, and we cannot give them happiness. We can support them with whatever they do, but we cannot give them our understanding. We cannot give them our happiness. They have to find that inside. They have to learn to find that first as something that they are complete. And then everything flows, right? Everything flows because as long as we send them on that journey outside themselves, looking for their missing piece, it'll never end. It'll never, never, never end. So, 
I think that's the most important message, you know, we can give to our kids, you know, I, I don't think they learn to look inside themselves for, for fulfillment. They're always looking outside themselves. My son, he always wants whatever, the next Pokemon card and the next toy and whatever it is. And I understand I was that way too, until, you know, we as adults, hopefully, we run into that wall some point in our life something really hits us and we and it, it doesn't have to be the death of somebody or or something ultra tragic but an event that makes us question ourselves you know and it's what i want kids to do at a very young age i want them to learn you know to look inside themselves i want them i want them to learn about death i know it sounds terrible but we always shun it here in the West, which is death. You don't want to talk about that. It's so sad. It's this, that, and the other. We should think about, the Buddhists say, we should think about that every day. We should think about one day where our bodies are not going to be here. We won't be present, you know, this in this plane, in this. And we should think about, let that drive us, you know, for happy, for a search inside ourselves. For what, what are we? What, what, what is our purpose? What is our, you know, what is our meaning, you know? And how do I, as a teacher, at the base of what I do, right? I'm a music teacher. Okay, yeah, you teach songs, and yeah. But at the base of what I do, I, that's why I want them to feel it in, inside. I want them to feel that fulfillment from here to understand that that's where their happiness is going to come from, right? Uh, I want them to teach. I want them to teach themselves to be fulfilled in any moment. And I, it's a very spiritual thing. It is a very spiritual thing. And maybe I'm just a music teacher, you know, but I never, I, I try never to miss those opportunities uh, to let them know that. Now, whether they make fun of me for it, you know, there are always going to be kids who just call out because classes aren't perfect. There's a bunch of different personalities. There are kids who don't give a shit. And there are kids who are tuned into what you're saying. And when you drop it in there, for some, it sticks in their in their conscious. For some, it will, right? Uh, what is the story of like uh, Jesus, right? He says, I, I threw some seeds and some fell on, on the rock or, the, or, you know, fell on a hard surface and never grew. And some, they fall into fertile soil and they grow. And that's the parable, you know, that's everybody does that. We want to do that with our kids. We want to plant those things in them that will allow them uh, to, to grow. You know, we hope it falls on fertile soil. Some kids don't get it till much later. Some kids get it very early, but it doesn't mean you don't try to plant it there because maybe, maybe it sticks there. And maybe someday in the future, whether it even be 10 years from now, maybe a kid will remember right, what I said uh, one day, just that one time. Maybe, maybe and it, it, that's worth it. And if they do that, right, if they do that, it, say it's 10 years from now, they remember something that fulfills them, that I taught them, that grows in them, and they, they, they feel fulfilled. Well, then, then two things happen, right? One, they fulfill my purpose, right? That's, that's one, which was given to me from the moment the stars first scattered into space, right? And the, set, and the second thing that, that happens there in that moment, then I will be, 
then I'll consider myself worthy to be called a teacher. Only that not until they use, use what I've given, what I've taught them or what I've told them and that maybe they use that some day in the future. So that's why I gave that speech, you know, because hopefully I had all their attention. And when you get a kid's attention, a lot of times I have to say to kids, you hear me, but you don't listen. They hear your words. A lot of kids hear your words, but few listen. Listen is focused attention, right? It's focused, like I'm getting my conscious right now, focused on listening to each other, giving my focus to you. You know, that's the difference between hearing and listening, you know? And, and I want to be that person. I want to be that one who, who, yeah, I want to be the black sheep. The music teacher is always the black sheep. Right? I want to be the one. It's the crazy, funky dude that the kids come to that's not like your normal classroom teacher. You know, I want to be that dude that implants and imparts the best he can for as imperfect and, and flawed as I am. I know there I can still impart important things, right? Great faith. The three Buddhist pillars, great faith, great doubt, great effort, great effort. Right? Great faith, great doubt, and great effort. I have all those things. Without effort, faith and doubt mean nothing. Right? Without the effort. The effort is the thing that the constant, right? E equals MC squared, right? It's the constant. There's a constant in their energy, right? Effort is the constant. Whether you vacillate between faith and doubt, without it's like getting up to meditate every morning, right? You get up. Some days your meditations are very deep. Some days I can't stop, my mind is going. But the next day, I still get up at five in the morning, I'm still on that mat. And at night, I'm still on that mat before I go to bed. Because I, I know, I know, you know, my faith is there. It's, it's there. It's not a belief. It's it's faith, right? It's, it's just, I know I can sit in my not knowing and know there's something greater, right? So I, I want to radiate that, you know, to kids. I, I, you know, a lot of times I... I I, I pray that. I say I want to radiate in a way that calms them, that, that brings them closer to the self, right? The real self, the self that is not the body, that is not the mind. And sometimes I feel that sitting in front of them, just radiating. Now, I don't even have to be singing. And sometimes they, they recognize it. And sometimes, sometimes I'm scattered, you know. But uh, uh, I really believe that we can radiate that uh, in a way that brings a certain calmness and a certain focus to kids. It's more than just telling them words and things like that. Um, you know, there's a great sage, uh, Ramana, Ramana Maharshi. I don't know if you know who, you ever heard of him? Mm -hmm. Ramana Maharshi, right? This guy who, who at like 15, 16, he, he had this great epiphany. He, he, he had self-realization at that age. He, he thought about death in such a deep way, right? At one time it came to him, he's, he thought, I'd never be here. I'll never, any, 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 it, it like transformed him. It, what did he do? He, he got up, he, he left his family. He threw away all any money he had, right? He, he got on the train, he managed to get a ticket to go to this place down in the south of India. And as soon as he got off the damn train, he threw away all his money. And he, he went and he he meditated and he, but he had a self, you know, the self really, he was such that people were drawn to, him, you know, 
that people couldn't be near this guy without themselves almost becoming self-actualized. We all have that potential, you know, but I think what happens with, with when we're young, that we're always taught, oh, you got to be unique and be this and that. No, we're all the same. You know, we all have a certain part. We express things differently, but the source is the same. The source, we all have the same source. We all express that differently depending on our upbringing and our experiences, but you got to get in touch with the source first to understand that. You have to you be in touch with that. And once you radiate that and you can drop your ego, you know, because we're, we're, we're taught, I think we're taught in the West, in the United States and things like that, that the focus is so much, it's disgustingly egotistic, right? It's money, it's sex, it's how you look, it's what you have, it's who's the YouTuber with the most views and the TikToker with the most views. And these are the things that we place importance on. Now, whether we teach our kids that, now I'm not gonna say any parent, you know, deliberately does that to their kid, but that's what they see. This is, this is what they see. And I, I get so disgusted by it sometimes. And it, it's the reason why I, I, I think I stay alone because I, I don't wanna, sometimes I don't wanna partake of it. It's just me, I'm here by myself and then I go to school and I, and I think to myself, I say, you know, sometimes I say, if I wasted my life, you know, I could have done this or I could have done that. Or I could have been the other, but I, I go out in Miami is such a, it's a tough place. It's a tough place. It's just, there's no, it's all what you have and all how you look and it's all our kids see. And it's, it's what they learn. That's how they learn. They, we may tell them other things. We may tell them that that's not what it is, but those are just words, but they can see it just by walking out their damn door. They could see it by just looking on their damn computer. You know, how do we teach them that these things are just, not real because they die things fade away right it all fades away you know so I, I don't know how to you know how to impart that to my son you know part of me wants to sit him down but i know it's not going to do any good and part of me says let him grow up let him suffer and let him come to his own let, his, let him come to his own existential crisis and let him question everything. And let and then, then you can begin, right, to learn truly, right? So, uh, uh, you know, just, you know, I, I, I'm older now. So, I mean, obviously my life is different. I'm in my 50s now. And so looking back, uh, I, I see... You know, I just see what all the things that I let control me, you know, the ego, the things that uh, whether it was sex or whether it was money or the things I chased after. Uh, I got a song called The Ride. It's just all that all I chased that ever glittered was just a long and lonely ride. It, it's the damn truth. It's the most true thing I ever put down. One of the most true things I ever put in a song. All I chased, I ever glittered was just a long and lonely ride. And this is the truth, man. All the things I chased, money, women, things, cars, tried to get this or tried, it just ended up nothing. It, it made me feel emptier. 
inside in the end. You know, only when I had that epiphany about, you know, just to question my own existence, did things start to take on a different lens of looking through the lens. Now, yeah, sure, I'd still like to make more money. I'd still like to have a better place to live, you know, for my son and things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. But when it becomes your sole focus, you know, when we say this is the meaning of life, you know, it disturbs me. It disturbs me because I hear it from everywhere. I hear it, you know, the politicians and I hear it and I just everybody's got a voice now. And this is so many voices coming from so many places that it's just it could get really confusing for a child. I can't imagine. We didn't have all those voices when we were kids. You know, we didn't have all these voices from social media that everybody's an influencer and everybody's got, you know, something to say and an attitude about it. And, 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 and you can't post anything even nice, remotely nice without somebody, you know, commenting some snide bullshit about, you know, yeah. stupid thing. You start, I call it in my class. It's funny. I call it fire starting. I call it fire starters. You know, I said, you're being a fire starter. You know, there's kids. They want to just be recognized. They need attention. You know, sometimes I'll say, you got my attention now. So what do you need? You know, uh, sometimes I look at them like that. I go, okay, now you got my attention. You did your little thing and you got my attention. Okay. Or somebody who's talking to another kid and just trying to get their, you know, their attention, you know, trying to get in their head. You know, like, why are you starting a fire? You know, you're starting something where there was nothing. You know, they don't understand it. They can't understand it. Maybe one day they will. But, uh, you know. At the base of my teaching is I'd like to impart these things to them. Now, I can't come out and say it. I can't come out and sit in front of them and tell them about Ramana Maharshi and the self and throwing away everything and the ego and everything like that, you know. But hopefully I could put them in situations where they can maybe just drop their ego a little bit, you know, just drop it just to, for a little bit, just to see that the person standing in front of them is not who they think they are, you know. I, I did a dance today in, in class, right, where the kids, you know, they have to hold hands and do this little thing. And it's fun. It's, it's a fun thing. But there's a part where you find that at the end of the dance, it says you find another part, okay? It's called jump, gym, jump, right? You jump and you hold your partner's hand to jump and then you go in the circle. And then at the end, I say you find another partner and you jump, gym. And then they're supposed to search out and find another partner. Well, what do you think happens? that age right the boys always search for another boy the girls always search for another girl and if there's an odd thing where a kid doesn't have a partner they'll look for anybody else that's around that's not the opposite sex or whatever and they're all hung up on this whole thing you know and it's understandable we did too when we were kids you know but i'd like to get them past it so they could just not see the person in front of them as a boy or a girl or black or white or whatever issue they maybe might have had with somebody maybe earlier in the day even. Just take this person's hand. Enjoy this activity. Enjoy it. Be a part of it. Laugh. Let yourself go. Realize that all those that shit you're, you're holding in your head is just bullshit, you know? And it's stuff, and it's not the kid's fault. It's stuff, it's learned behavior. How do we unlearn it? I, I don't know. I could give them opportunities, but I only see them an hour a week. You know, we got to give them opportunities. But uh, uh, I'm sorry if I'm around. <laughs>
Yeah, I feel well, like listen, I'm just let, rambling let me, on. Let's, I, I, this has been fascinating. I, I really enjoyed hearing uh, the stream of consciousness inside of your mind. You're clearly a thoughtful person, and you are very invested in making the world a better place. And you want to do that not just for yourself, not just for your son. You really want to do that for your students. And I commend you for that. It's an amazing, I can see and feel the passion that you bring to your purpose. And if anything, in order for just any, for teachers to have a different reputation, to, to sit on your side of the table would be an honor because this is a very beautiful place that you come from. I've enjoyed it immensely. You know what I'd really love to do is have another conversation with you and talk about your music. Because, you know, if you bring this much passion to something like uh, your work, I can just imagine how amazing it is. I know that we've enjoyed each other's little uh, uh, songs that we've we've uh, <laughs> had through social media and things like that. But, you know, I think we, I think you bring a lot to the table, both as a teacher, as a person, as a father. Uh, and uh, so I'd really like to learn more about what you bring to the table as a musician, because it sounds like you've you've had this second calling. And even though your life took you to education, I have a feeling that locked inside of you is a whole other vast knowledge that you bring through your art. You know, it's feast or famine with you. Do you write songs? You write songs, correct? I do. Yep. So for me, it's feast or famine with songs. You know, it's they come in waves. You know, I write three, four songs and then I could go several years without writing a song. And then, oh, it's feast or famine. You know, it's just you have to gain the experience. I want my songs to mean something, you know, and right. And obviously us being old fuddy duddies, you know, we listen to some of the shit that's on the, that's on the radio today. And it's just produced just to fart out a song, you know, and it just means nothing. Bunch of lyrics, bunch of words means nothing. What does it mean? Yeah. You know? Can I say so? That's the other thing about you is that you like to bring meaning to this. This is why I brought up that word reverence because, you know, purpose uh, is one thing. Meaning is another thing. They, a lot of times it's conflated. I want my life to have meaning. I want my life to have a purpose. And and they don't necessarily interchange as far as words go. They, they are different things. But the fact that you do br want to bring meaning uh, and depth to your like, everyday they, life. They, they, they complement each other. Meaning they do complement. Yeah, yeah, the, the seesaw, you know, they, they, they complement each other well. If you, you know, if you're looking for meaning, I mean, I think they do kind of intertwine uh, in a way, you know, um, uh, you know, but yeah, yeah, I, I mean, I, I'd like to, I mean, I, sometimes I sit back and I go, I wonder what ha would have happened if I, if I took the path of just being, you know, a musician you know, or I was on the stage and, you know, because I was performing at a pretty high level at some point and I look back and it feels like I was a different, like a different person. I got these pictures up on my wall here of me on stage with my yeah. horn, like kind of jumping around and all kinds of crazy stuff, you know. I, I never even like made any albums. Like, I just got like like the wild song, <laughs> you know. And I do have some of them recorded and stuff like that. Sure, I'll yeah. send you a link a link to a couple a few of them. But um, I love to listen to it. I don't know if you caught my latest little number on social media, but we had a fundraiser and I sang a song and. Uh, I just, I can't believe how much it blew up with my friends and, and everyone contacting me and telling me, uh, 
Yeah. You know, because they people don't they, they don't see this side of you. Send me that. Uh, send, me the video. Not, send me the video. Oh, absolutely. It's it's on message, it's on my Facebook. Message. Well, message it I'll to me anyway, just in case. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll go check your your page and 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 you know I, what I'd like to do. I'd like to to talk about some of your uh your best practices for kids. You know, like sure, I absolutely. Mean, I'd love to do that. You know, like uh, with some of the, the the activities you do and things like you. That, that you do and maybe I, I I know that you said you're only dealing with like one and like one two year olds is that correct are you, are you doing no, anything it's... like kindergarten first grade things like that yes it goes from pre-k kindergarten and first grade that's we go up to first grade and the, the classes are different they're in different play I do it in uh, uh, three different Miami-Dade County public schools but we also have uh, private funding that has come in through uh, organizations to specific day- daycare centers. And so I'm, we're in low-income areas. We're also in areas that are underserved. And uh, we are teaching a curriculum that's taught by, uh, it was created by Dr. Joy Galliford. Uh, she is a brilliant woman that I've known for a very long time. And she's done an excellent job of you know, turning music into a meaningful thing as far as developmentally for, for young children. So everything is very, 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 uh, uh, there's an intention behind all the movements and all the dances and everything that's done together. Uh, And it's taught in a very particular way. So she trained me uh, to do the class, but it's so, Michael, it's so fulfilling. These children, they come up to me, they hug me. It may be the only hug they get for, for that week. Uh, in some cases, some of these children, I, I deal with children that are uh, on that are uh, autistic spectrum disorder. So they are there. They were it's it's it is such a fulfilling life for me to bring this and to do this type of work. And I always said that I wanted to do this when I got older. You know, I spent most of my early years uh, as a business person. I'm a software developer. by tr- you know, That's something I became. Yeah. 18 years man. ago. <laughs> well, I'm just, you're doing all kinds of things. You're a cook, you're a musician, you're a software developer. I love it. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's why we're simpatico is that we, we definitely, uh, I'm a practicer of stoicism from the Stoics. You know, you were talking about death and how death uh, affects the way you think. I mean, there's a saying called uh, memento mori, which is, Remember that you're going to die. Therefore, live for the moment. That should if be a teacher. It should teach you. Yeah, absolutely. You the, life, the impermanence life, of things, you know. Correct. I mean, I think you have to uh, reach out to the world uh, with a sense of wonder, with a sense of learning and humility. You have to reach out with a sense of uh, curiosity. Uh, curiosity. You also have to have a sense of justice. You have to say. You know, and this is where you bring reverence into it, because it's not justice in the in the social justice sense. It's justice just in the sense that what that there is, there are things that are right, there are things that are wrong, and if you hold the things that are right in a reverent position, and you model them, then the people around you they they respect that they 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 want to be around you because you're generally doing things that bring good to the world. And this is part of what I think is missing in education is these life lessons that you so eloquently said, this is, well, this is the parents' purview, and it's true, except there's now a blending between parents and teachers. 
you know, very few parents signed up for doing algebra homework with their kid, or they were capable of doing it. Very few parents, you know, uh, felt like they were going to be abandoned in their life because their children have so much homework, they only get to see them on weekends. So th there needs to be a shift in how parents and teachers communicate and in how these jobs, maybe we need to talk to each other. Parents do need to learn a little bit about how to be teachers. Teachers do need to learn a little bit of how to represent well, parents, parents. Are, te are teachers. Parents are teachers, whether they want to be or Absolutely. not. Absolutely. your kids yeah. are going to take, take something from, from them. A teacher, you know, I have a cousin. You know, do you know Tom? Tom Santalone. Um, I do, actually. Yeah. He, I mean, I know of he, him. He, he's a poet, right? And he yeah. just won a Guggenheim uh, fellowship there of, uh, like a couple years ago. A, a couple years ago. But, you know, his book, uh, one of his books uh, is the uh, the dedication. He says, this book is dedicated to my family, my friends, and my teachers, all who have been one or the other at some point in my life. Right. There you what go. Is, what, what a way. Right. It's exactly it. Your family are your friends and your teachers. Your friends become your family and your, te your teachers are your friends and your family. So, you know, you, you can't right. escape. It's just the role we play. Right. It's a role we play. You know, you, a family is, is, is a role we play. We play the role of the father or the mother or, you know, when they go to school, they're around their, their other kids. They should be like their brothers and sisters, hopefully, you know, and, your teacher is just somebody somebody you learn from, whether that's consciously or unconsciously. I learn from somebody, you know, yep. or, or you know, a friend. What is you know, uh, you know, just somebody who's you know, you're thrown into the mix with, and you learn to get along with, and you become friends, you know, and they become your teachers, and they you learn from them. So it's just this amalgam, this mixing. But it, it's just the reason I think that you know, going back to the very first point we started with, that we need to revamp and rethink education what does it mean to be educated what does that mean what is it is it just knowing the numbers and how to write and how to read that's part of it yes it's an important factor in communicating right but it, you know what does it mean to be is it just book read is it book, you know because there's been people who've you know astounded the world who never went to a lick of school you know, and there are great educators and there are great people who are just well book read and who have won Pulitzer Prizes and all kind of stuff. But what is it, you know, we can, you know, teaching our kids that education isn't everything, you know, isn't, isn't, isn't everything. It's, it's an important part of, you know, of growing up. But what does it mean? You know, how do we define educated? You know, and, and that's, and that's a big argument now. In society, right? Because parents are arguing that they don't want our kids reading this book, or we don't want this kid, you know, doing this. We don't want. We want to teach this in school. We don't want, you know, and and so I'm all for the community extension of the school. The school shouldn't be this isolated building that's separate from the community. We all have a stake in seeing the kids come out and, and do their thing, you know, but we, we, you know, certain boundaries have to be, have to be drawn. You know, the Robert Frost poems talks about walls, you know, it's okay to have these walls, to have this separation of, of certain things, but yet, you know, I think we're just all 
standing in a circle, kind of misunderstanding each other in a lot of cases, you know, and we're pitted against each other, parents, teachers, and administration and bureaucracy. And it's a, it's a really weird thing, man. And it just feels like it needs a, a big colonic. <laughs> hey everybody. Thanks for tuning into that episode. I wanted to record this outro because Michael and I had some technical difficulties and I had to cut the podcast a little bit short, although it ended on a funny note. Uh, all these things work out sometimes. Uh, I did have uh, some more information recorded with him, uh, and I'd like very much to have him back on the podcast and talk about those things as well as listen to some of his music and his journey as a professional musician. In the meanwhile, I'm hoping that you will rate this podcast. Please like it. Please give me five stars. I want to have the algorithm index this podcast in such a way that other people can find it. We can spread the news and the great information about modern teachers and their classrooms. So I thank you very much, and I'm going to catch you on the next episode.